Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles, and I hope you do. Turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 28. Soviet uh, dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said that um, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. It's a very profound statement because you and I know what is true. We know the most important truth of all history, the most important truth of all creation is the fact that it is God who saves sinners. No matter any of all the other truths that we know, there is no truth that is more important, more powerful than that truth. And since this is true, we, one of the things that obviously, if you're thinking about it, that a question that could lead that usually leads most people to is, if if it is God who saves, what part do we play? What part do I play in my salvation? Now, if you are a Calvinist, you're going to say that we play no part. That before the foundations of the world, we were chosen. We can't do anything because grace is irresistible. You can't, you, if, you, if God had chosen you to be saved since God is sovereign, you will be saved and you will have no choice in the matter. That's the, that is the pure Calvinist view. If you believe in the Arminian view, you're going to state that, yes, we are conditionally predestined by God without affecting his sovereignty, but it's based upon God's foreknowledge that whether or not we will be saved or whether we will be damned for the rest of our lives, for eternity, actually. It comes down to whether or not we choose to believe, and we surrender. Now, I am of the, I am of the Arminian camp, and if you want to have long discussions that get nowhere, we can sit and discuss the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. The, the discussions have been going on for thousands of years. Hundreds of years. Well, over a thousand years. It's not a salvation. It's not an issue that, you know, we can't, it's not like we can't be friends and can't worship with people who are Calvinists or we can't worship with people who, are, who believe in the Arminian idea. The point is, the number one truth is the fact that it is God who saves us. He is the one who provides the way. God wants us to trust him. This is why I believe in the Arminian idea, the idea that God has predestined us for salvation. He knows, because he's, he's all-knowing, who's going to believe and who's not. We don't, so that's why we have to go out and share the gospel, because we don't know who God has chosen. So we must go out and, and share the gospel. But God wants us to trust him. We can read it throughout Scripture. Even just we go back a few chapters in Isaiah, in Isaiah 12. This is what it says: "Behold, God is my salvation. God, it is God who saves. I will trust and will not be afraid." 
For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Now, obviously, if I come to you and I say, I want you to trust me. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to trust me. There are, there are two reasons that I want you to trust me. Either I'm a charlatan and I'm trying to lie to you, or I'm trustworthy. Okay? Well, God wants us to trust him because he is trustworthy. But there's a problem because you and I, as humans, find it difficult to put our trust in God. Because what happens is, you know, we, we, we want to be saved, so we want to put our trust in something that's going to save us. So, so we, we, we begin and we want to trust in God, but there are other, quote, salvations out there that are trying to pull us from God. There are other salvations in this world. But see, what happens is, in order for us to truly trust in God, we need to put all those things aside. We need to put everything aside. All of our wants and our desires. And we need to jump with both feet into the adventure that God has planned for us. And we, we live in a, and we live in a society and in a world that does nothing. I'll be honest with you, this world in and of itself does nothing to help us trust God. There's very little that encourages us to believe that God's salvation is all that we need. And then not only is that an issue with everything around us, but even inside of us. Inside of me, there's a sin nature. Inside of all of us, there's this sin nature that keeps doubting, whispering to us, are, are you sure that God is there? Are, are you sure that you can trust Him? Are you sure that He will be there when you need Him? Oh yeah, he may have, you may have felt Him previously, but you don't feel Him as much anymore now, do you? Those little whispers of doubt. And granted, yes, some of them do come from the evil one, but many times it comes just from me. And this is why in Scripture there's, it talks about when we, when we set, when we set, it takes a farming, you know, we, we, there's farmers and we understand farming. It, it, when you set yourself to the plow, you don't turn and look back. You, you know, if I'm plowing, what do you think happens? If I'm plowing like the old-fashioned way, not driving a tractor that's controlled by GPS, I know that's modern day stuff. But I'm talking about you got a horse in front of you and you're holding the plow and you're going like this and you go like this, what's going to happen? Do you think you're going to have a straight line? You're not going to have a straight line. In fact, chances are the plow is going to fall over. I, I love watching these shows where they, they go back to the Tudor times and they, they have this farm that's run like it was in Tudor times or Edwardian times or Victorian times. And you see them trying to use this old equipment. And they're like, this is hard. This is hard work. You know, me, I get my, my rear tine tiller out. I fire it up. It fires up every time. I just sit there and, brrr, and go, it goes straight. You can't do that because the horse, it, wants to, it just wants to pull. But see, if, if, we, if we don't trust in God, what we're doing is we're, we have our hands in the plow and we're looking back this way at all the salvations in our lives we're more, and, we're, and our lines are just like crazy and falling over. And... The problem is we get too controlled by fear. Fear is rampant in this world today. But see, 
you and I, we can confidently trust that we can fully experience the sufficiency of God in our lives. If we trust Him. If we put our full trust in Him. So we ask ourselves another question. Do we feel safe? Do we feel rich with God alone? And and the thing about that question, what's so important about it is, is how you answer that question is going to be a reflection of your faith in Christ. Do you feel safe and rich with God? Now, do not be too hasty to answer yes. I thought about that. As I was writing this, I'm sitting there asking myself that question. And I'm I, I mean, I'm the pastor. Come on. Yes, of course I feel safe and I feel rich with God. But the problem is, is if you examine, if you examine your thoughts, your daily thoughts, your daily actions, those don't always reflect that we fully trust in God. And they must. There are places in my life where I am I insufficiently trust God because my actions and my words don't show it. You know the whole put up or shut up? I know my mom says don't use the word, you know, shut up. Don't say that to your brothers. Tell our kids, don't tell your brother to shut up. Tell them be quiet. Like same thing, but put up or shut up. Are you are your actions reflecting what you truly feel? If they don't, they need to reflect that we're walking in God's laws, we're waiting for Him, we're desiring God's name and renown as the only desire of our hearts. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We have lots of desires in this world. We, I have the desire for this, a desire for that. I have desire for some, some kind of food. I have desire for some place I want to be in my life. I have desire for some place I want to go. And, and if, those are my, if those are my main focus, then, then I'm not focusing on God. But if I seek God first, all those things will be added to me. All those things that, that are going to take care of me. And yes, He will even sometimes give me some of those things that I want He'll always give me those things that I need if my focus is on Him to trust Him always. We're going to see in Isaiah what happens when you don't trust God fully. So Isaiah 28, starting with verse 1. what Isaiah says, Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters he cast down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be the like a first ripe fig, before the summer, when someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. What we have here is Isaiah is standing on the probably standing on the walls of Jerusalem, and he is looking north to Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom, Israel. 
Remember the two kingdoms split right after Solomon passed, died and his sons, they split the two kingdoms. You have Judah in the south, Judah and Benjamin in the south. You have the other ten tribes in the north. By this, At this point in time, um, the Assyrians had not come in and captured the northern kingdom and taken them into captivity. It is sometimes called Ephraim. So he's standing there and he's looking towards the kingdom of Israel. And in fact, he's looking towards a particular city, the city of Samaria, which was the capital of Ephraim, of Israel, of the northern kingdom. And it was built at the, at the opening of this rich valley. Beautiful gardens and orchards and vineyards. That city had everything a modern city would want to have. Look what he says. He says, glorious beauty, the head of a rich valley. They had everything, everything desirable to live in at that time. But see, what Isaiah sees is, he sees a metaphor for what is really, in truth, lazy decadence. We uh, earlier when I was talking about the fact that you know you had to stand behind the horse, you had the horse reins on you, you know around you so that you could guide the horse. You had the hold of the plow and you had to keep it level, you know, centered. We, we have no clue what that's like. We have no clue what it's like to be a farmer back in those days to do the hard work. Yeah, I work hard in my yard. I've been working real hard trying to get all the, my 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 fruit plant uh, picked and keep my gardens going and all the other things. I work hard, but believe me. I don't work nearly as hard as they used to. But I wouldn't call that lazy decadence for me because I've been working hard. But the problem was is that Israel, the northern kingdom had lived in, in, in safety for so long they became lazy. And they became decadent. They Decadent meaning that they, would, they were overindulging in everything. Now, you cannot seriously look at me, look me in the eye and tell me that our society does not overindulge in everything that it does. It does. But it's this metaphor, and soon what's going to happen, because we see this, what he says here, it says, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong like a storm of hail, the destroying tempest. The time is coming when Assyria, what, what Isaiah sees is he sees the Assyrian army coming in to completely obliterate the northern kingdom which will occur in 722 B.C. So we know this was written before that. Because see what has happened is, and I think it's the same thing that happens to us today, has happened and continues to happen, is that the people of Samaria, the people of the northern kingdom, took for granted the blessings that they had. We talked today about where this country is. We talked today about how troubling it is to see the things that are going on, the things that our government, and I don't just mean one person in our government, I mean our whole government is corrupt. I'll be honest with you, it is. They're all out for themselves. And I can say that with the utmost respect for the offices that they're supposed to be holding. But I think for a long time, our leaders have been not lived up to the expectations of their office. But, needless to say, they have taken for granted what God had given them. And they've squandered it away in drunkenness, is what Isaiah is saying. 
Now, this story has been played out throughout history over and over and over again. And it continues to be played out today. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. The people will accumulate wealth, and then that wealth is stolen. That wealth is squandered. Our egos climb, and then they fall into absurdity. Just watch social media, and you'll see that happening constantly. You'll see, watch, I don't watch TikTok, but you watch TikTok and you see the absurdity of what is out there. We find ourselves in these times and we have to ask ourselves, is this really what life is all about? All the things you see today in our society, is that what life is about? Is life about social media? Is life about, you know, being popular online, having Facebook friends and having so many hits on your videos, is that what it's about? Is that really what it's about? And you can imagine there may have been people in Samaria who are thinking, man, we got everything. Is this what it's really about? It doesn't change. Humans don't change. They're always the same. Is what our society promotes to us essential to life? Or is it even worthwhile? And as we're watching our world seem to fall apart, we see secularism continuing to rise in popularity. But see, the day is coming, and I think it's going to be very soon, where people are going to realize that our society, our secular society, does not have the answers that we need for life. They'll no longer have these clever answers for things. Our government will no longer have the answer to the problems. Or, let me put it this way, they'll no longer try to tell us they have the answers to the problems. They'll finally realize we knew all along they didn't have the answers to our problems. That's where Isaiah has found himself. The society, especially as he's looking towards Ephraim, is lost. But see, the, the, the beauty is, is as the city of man collapses, there's an opportunity for the city of God. If we truly trust in God alone, you and I will have a crown that won't fade. Look what he says in verse 5 and 6. He says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. What we say, remember, we've talked about that, in that day. Whenever you see that term, in that day, the first thing you should always think about is that this is the judgment day. This is judgment day. This is the day when all the false crowns of the world are going to roll into the mud. We saw that earlier in the verses that Isaiah was saying at the beginning here. He says, because... He says that the crowns will will roll their faded glory and be trodden underfoot. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. All the crowns of all the things that supposedly make life worthwhile in our society are going to fall to the ground and be nothing. All the lies that the world tries to tell us to get us to believe will be revealed for what they are, and that is lies. If you read the book of Revelation, you can see that what is happening is God is bringing us to the end of ourselves. It's interesting if you if you study humanity, if you study humans throughout history, it always seems what, what gets them to change? What's going to make someone change? What made Paul change on the road to Damascus? What did he have to do? Who did he, who did he encounter on the road to Damascus? 
Who did he encounter? Jesus. What did Jesus have to do to him? Blind him. Make him not able to take care of himself. Not able to see. We as humans seem to always have to get to the end of ourselves before we actually see God. We always get to that crisis point in our lives and that's when we, oh, I need God. You see it over and over again. And that's what God is doing. God's going to get the world to the ends of itself. And when this happens, this will be humanity's last chance to reach out for Him. And to find what they've always longed for has been right there. He's going to become their crown of glory. Now, we have an opportunity now because we experience that now. But there's a lot lot of people in the world who won't. So God's going to get them to the end of themselves and they make that final decision. Do I believe or do I just continue in my way? But we know from Scripture what's going to happen. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are all the members of Congress who argue so eloquently for their sinful ways? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What we preach, what I preach, is folly to the world. But people are saved because of it. For Jews demand a signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God with the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And before we get too hasty about looking at ourselves and saying, wow, isn't that great? Isaiah is looking north to to, um, Ephraim, to Samaria, that's going to soon be destroyed by the Assyrians. And then he turns around and he looks at Jerusalem. Here's what he says. He says, these, these, he's looking around, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest of the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all the tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. as much as I'd I'd hate to admit this, I think that this is also a great picture of what's happening in the church today. We we look at the world and we judge the world and that if we really, if we were turned back on ourselves, not just, I'm not talking about specific churches, I'm talking about the Western church in general. We look back on ourselves and we we would probably say, are we really any better? Aren't we doing the same things? Aren't we letting the same things happen in our churches? Now, what Isaiah is doing is he's using this imagery of drunkenness to show that people are not just, he's not just meaning that people are out drinking alcoholic beverages, drinking wine and getting drunk. 
But see, they're, they're drunk on more than that. They're drunk on their own egos. They're drunk on their own self-imposed wisdom, their own self-imposed importance. They're, they're drunk on paganism. And see, he, he sees them vomiting all their knowledge out. You know people like that. Some people might say, I'm that way. <laughs> they sit there and they say a whole lot of things that seem wise to them, but in reality, they're just vomiting out stuff that really is not that wise. There's no wisdom at all in it. We see it today in our world. We see it in some of our officials. Oh, they seem to be smart. But as a term I always like to use for some people, some people are educated beyond their intelligence. Isaiah is going to ask, he says, To whom will they teach knowledge? Verse 9. And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. We know from some of Isaiah's teachings, we know how the people felt about it. There were two issues that they had with Isaiah's teaching. First, they considered it childish and simplistic. That's why he says, are they, are they going to explain their knowledge to those who are weaned with milk? You know, or just take them, Is it childish? They were accusing Isaiah of being childish. His, his stuff was simple. And, and in reality, they probably were correct. It is simple. It was pretty simple. Trust God. That's pretty simple. Trust God in all things. That's, that's all. That's all it is. It's not complex. But like many people do today, they mocked the simple teaching of the gospel. They mock it. They don't feel fed. I just, you know, I, I listen to the pastor. I just don't feel fed. They didn't feel fed when Isaiah preached them. You know, there are some people who will never feel fed when you share the gospel with them. It doesn't matter. Because what? They want to feel good about themselves. Don't, you know, man, I, I got a rough life. I'm, I got a, a job that drives me crazy. The, the kids and the wife are driving me crazy. Not me personally, by the way. <laughs> the wife and kids are driving me crazy, and I, well, I want to come to church to feel good about me. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, you have to surrender to God, and you can feel good about you because you've got Christ in you. Feel good about Christ in you and what he can do in you. Because you and I are broken vessels. You and I are, we're lost. We need a Savior. But they don't want to hear that. People today don't want to hear that they need a Savior. The second issue they had with Isaiah's preaching is that they think that his teaching is silly. Well, that's just silly. Oh, come on. You can't believe that a man was swallowed by a big fish and was in there for three days. That's just silly. You, you can't believe that a guy was strong and he got his hair cut off and all of a sudden he was weak. That's just silly. Oh, those are just fables. Come on. Get, you know, I can hear him say, Isaiah, get with the times. Come on. Get with the times. Stop teaching the same blah, blah, blah. Precept upon precept, line upon line. Teach us what makes us feel good, and as we know, we are. I mean, come on. 
look at us. We're perfect. At least that's what we like to tell ourselves and we like to project. You know, I found the most popular people in our society today are probably some of the most broken people in our society today. Inside. Inside, they're broken. And that's everything you see is a facade. They accuse him of not being a deep thinker. And yet they can't even, they can't even understand the simplicity of trusting God. And I, I, can, I can understand that. Believe me, trusting God is simple, but it's not easy. We'll talk about that a little bit here, a little bit. So what's going to happen? Since they're not listening to Isaiah, they're not doing what they're supposed to do, they're not listening and listening to the simplicity of what he's saying, they're not learning from what he's preaching, God's going to do something. He's going to step in and he's going to defend his word. He always will. Here's what it says in verse 11. He says, For the, by, by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. Hmm. To whom he has said, This is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose. repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. He's gonna, God's going to use someone from a foreign tongue, somebody who doesn't speak Aramaic or doesn't speak Hebrew, and he's going to share the same message that Isaiah is sharing. But you know what? It isn't going to matter. Today, one person will be sitting in the pew. And they'll hear God's word, and this is what they'll think. They'll think, man, this is precious to me. I can't wait to hear the Bible again next week. I never, I never knew the Bible had so much for me. And yet, there's another person in the same pew, same row, thinking, man, this is dumb. Why doesn't the Bible say something impressive? Something that's up to my level. Same pew, same church, same message. So the question is, if that's what two different people are hearing, what are you hearing? Do you, do you delight when the Word of God is opened? Or are you annoyed? If God's Word is not sweet to your ears, there, there's a reason. The reason is you're too cynical. I'll be honest with you. There are times when I open God's Word and it's just like, ugh. Because at that moment, I'm too cynical, and I have to check myself and say, okay, why am I, why, this is God's word. This is God speaking to us. God, creator of the universe, all-powerful, almighty. I should never be, ugh, I don't want to hear it. It always should be, I'm finding comfort in it. I should be delighted. We have to humble ourselves and we need to ask God to soften our hearts. Unfortunately, the leaders of Jerusalem are going to refuse to do that. So this is what happens. Verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. I think one day you're going to hear, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in the United States. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. What what God is saying here is that you know, you people, you rulers, you've made your covenant with the world. You've decided, you've made your treaties, and you think you're safe. You think that you have the ability to be saved. You made your deals. It won't matter. The foundation of the city of God, the major premise of life in God's city, is trust in Jesus Christ. That's the cornerstone. He says, I am he who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a testa stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. What God is saying is, I am laying Jesus Christ, my son, coming, dying, Rising again, that is the foundation that I am laying for my city and I'm laying for you. For us as a church, believe me, our foundation is not our institutions, it's not our history, it is not our traditions. Our foundation is our trust in Jesus Christ, who we only know by faith alone. That's it. Our faith, because of that, because that is our foundation, because our trust in Christ is our foundation. Our, tr- our faith will not be driven out. It will not freak out. It will not be scurrying here and there, frantic for self-salvation. Faith in Christ can stand up to anything this world will throw at us. But we have to trust in God. We have to put our faith in Him. Verse 17, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. This is God's measuring. He says, if you you want to be with me, you must be righteous. Well, you and I can't be righteous. It's not possible on our own. So what does he do? He lays that stone, that foundation, which is Christ. He gives us Christ. Through Christ, we have righteousness. So we meet the requirement that God lays down. I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Waters will overwhelm the shelter. He's going to pass his judgment. Then your covenant with death will be, will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning it will pass through. And by day and by night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. Now, understand, what God does many times in Scripture, He'll use something that's going to happen to them. It's also a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the world. The northern kingdom is going to be, the Syrians are going to sweep in, and they're going to destroy everything and take the people captive. The day is coming. Remember, in that day, it's the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, where he's going to sweep in and he's going to wash everything away. You and I cannot, cannot turn from God to the world and expect to live in the city of God. The world has nothing to offer us that's going to bring us salvation. You know the you know the whole the old song, 
The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? And the rains came tumbling down. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. What happens to the house built on the sand when the water comes? It falls, that's right. The world gives just nothing but sand. God says, I'm laying a stone, a foundation. That's the rock we need to build our lives upon. We need to build this church upon. Because the world, there are churches out there who are building itself themselves on sand. And when the train trouble comes, when rain comes, what's going to happen? They're going to fall. They're going to be lost. They're not going to have the answers. Now, granted, I'll have the answers for you, but you won't like them. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Trust God fully. Because self-salvation, a house built on sand, will only lead to destruction. The ways of the world are always going to fall short. But God won't. Verse 21 says that, For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed, and the work, his work, alien is his work. See, God, God continues to fight on. And you'll find, you think, well, who, what's this Mount Perizim? And what's, what's this uh, Valley of Gibeon? You're going to have to go to 2 Samuel 5. We're not going to do it today. I, I suggest this week, look up 2 Samuel 5. That's going to tell you about Mount Perizim and what God did. The Valley of Gibeon will be found in Joshua 10. But what happens is, God is fighting for Israel. And understand that God continues to fight today. But who is he fighting for? He fights for anyone who puts their full trust in him. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who is he fighting against? Those who refuse to trust in him for their salvation. I know. We look today and we think, man, is really God fighting for us? It doesn't seem that way. He is, trust me. He is. Because not only does he fight for those who trust in him, he will even, he will even fight against those who don't trust in him, even if they're God's chosen people. God will fight against the Jews even if, if they don't trust in him. Because no one owns God. We don't, just because we call ourselves Christian and we go to church, we don't own God. God is prepared to leave his own people if they will not listen to him. And they don't trust him. Verse 22. It says, Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. God says, I'm going to destroy it. Give ear, hear my voice, give attention, and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When, when he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, so cumin, and put in wheat and rose and barley and in proper place, and emer as the border? For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. When I go and I go to till up my soil, and, my, and I do in my garden boxes now, but there's some places, I, do I continually just constantly till? 
all summer long. How is the garden going? Oh, it's going great. I got it tilled again today. Okay, what's growing? Well, nothing now, but I got it tilled. God, God doesn't do that. It's, it's like a simple farmer. God knows what we need. He knows what you need for your daily lives. He knows what you need to be, be strengthened if we turn to him and we listen to him. He knows that our lives cannot be in constant turmoil. I, I don't believe that when, when, when I've had moments in my life when it, been, life has been just difficult, I know it's not God punishing me. I know he allows this to happen because a lot of times it's my fault. I've created this world, my world inside my, my head. I've created this problem, and now I'm having to deal with it. With his help, I can deal with it. But it's not going to be constant. It's not going to always be this way. He doesn't allow our lives to be in constant upheaval. He does, you know, God doesn't plow our lives and break up the rocks constantly. Does he do that? Yeah, he breaks up the rocks, he tills the soil, but God knows each of us, he knows what we need, he knows what we can endure. So he plants when he needs to plant. He knows, what we, he's a good farmer. He knows when things need to be planted in our lives, when they need to be picked. That's what he talks about next in verse 27. He says, Dill is not threshed with the threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick. Watch out, God's going to beat you with a stick. Um, and cumin with a rod. Two different things. Does one crush grain for bread? No. He does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Understand that different crops require different things. Different trees require different things. You and I each require something different. And God does different things in our lives. That's why I cannot compare. You shouldn't compare yourself to me, and I can't compare myself to what God is doing in your life. My goal is to help you walk through and discover what God wants you to do in your life. So God will use you, do things in your life. And yes, sometimes they're similar. You know, God, we all we, all, we pick everything, right? Everything gets harvested. But you, you don't treat the harvest all the same. You know, I can I can take my fruit. I took, got peaches and pears I'm working on now. I can water bathe them. I mean, I heated in hot water. I can't do that with green beans. Green beans, if I do, I'm gonna have a problem because they're gonna go bad. They'll be nice and black by by winter time. You have to you have to pressure can those, right? Well, understand there are sometimes that we're putting some hot water. Sometimes we're put under a lot of pressure. Because that's God says knows that's what we need. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. God's wise enough to know. He's wise enough to know exactly how to work in each and every one of us. It says he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. But see, we have to trust him. We have to trust him. You know, God, God planned this. He has it all figured out from here to eternity. He knows what we need. But he knew what we needed more than anything else. 
is that we needed to have sin taken care of in our lives. All of us. Just like we all need, like all seeds need to be planted in some shape or form. I know there are some you sprinkle on the top of the ground, but they need soil, they need, they need nutrients to grow for the most part. I know, let's not get into hydroponics, that's a whole other story. But they still need, you need nutrients. You and I needed something. We needed our sin taken care of. So God planned a way for that to be done to begin with. And that's where we begin to trust in Him. We trust in Him for our salvation. If we trust in Him for our salvation, which is the most important thing, why don't we trust in Him for every other thing in our lives? And that's what we celebrate today, is trusting in Christ for our salvation. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.